It is time for another episode of Crunch Time Plays. Roll the intro, and here we go. It's time for the Crunch Time Plays podcast, where we talk all things sports from the collegiate level all the way up to the pros. And now, here's your host, Bennett Ganey. All right, welcome in to episode number 12 of Crunch Time Plays. We're going to do something a little bit that we haven't normally done. We're going to, we want to start taking you around some different college football teams. We get close to spring practice here. So a lot of spring practices have already started. We want to do something where we take you around uh, the world of college football and get the state of the program and what they expect from their teams heading into the fall. And we're going to start today with Florida. And we're so delighted to be joined by David Waters, host of the David host of the Gators Breakdown Podcast. David, thank you for so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. No problem. No problem. Glad to be here. So has Gainesville recovered from the fact that Florida's not having a spring game yet? <laughs> no, no, you got the, uh, you know, the, the limited crowd from the 2020 season. And a lot of people were kind of pinpointing the spring game is maybe the first time that you could kind of freely come back to Gainesville and, and, and go tailgate and see everybody you're used to seeing for ball games, but uh, that's not going to be the case now. And, you know, they're using the swamp as a, as a COVID um, hotspot as far as giving vaccinations and testing and all that kind of stuff. So you kind of get it. I, 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 it was a mild surprise. I, I thought they would have something there for the fans uh, for, for a spring game. But, heck, I mean, Florida's starting uh, spring camp about a month normally, uh, earlier than they, than they normally are. Uh, here, you know, they started back on February 18th, so uh, pretty, pretty early there. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, a lot of fans were looking at this time to get back together, but we'll have to wait till the fall now. Yeah, I know we were talking before we started recording that Coach Mullen's been posting those live videos. Of, I know he posted one of Anthony Richardson the other night, posting those live videos for from spring practice. And at least they're doing something interactive for the fans. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, a lot of these practices, the early ones when, you know, they're just in basically helmets and in, in shorts, basically out there in their pajamas, <laughs> uh, a bit. Not not a lot is happening, so they let, they usually allow fans to those. But since uh, you know they're kind of keeping everybody away from the team right now, um, still you know, Instagram Live. That's kind of where they're, they're hosting all their uh, 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 spring video. Uh, so you know you'll be able to see some things. You know, like, like I said, early on in this process, you're not gleaming a whole lot anyway. You're just kind of seeing what players look at look look like and. Um, if you're going to judge anything, can, that, can can the quarterbacks at least hit routes on air? And then, and they're doing they're doing a good a good job on that so far. But you've been able to see some players' size and what numbers the freshmen are wearing, and you know maybe a starting five for the offensive line. You can maybe you know who's who's the first five lining up out there if that's going to be any indication of of uh, how things will look in the fall. But that's really all you can glean early on. But uh, as we record this on uh, Monday of this week, uh, Mullen just tweeted out beforehand that the Gators will be in full pads uh, for the first time in the spring on Monday. So the intensity and being able to have some uh, a better observation of what's going on is about to come up when they hit full pads. Awesome. And I know, make sure to check out Instagram Live if you're, if you're a Florida fan. Coach Mullen's been posting some stuff on there. I wanted to ask you real quick on the state of the program as far as um, recruiting. I know Florida had the number 13 recruiting class of 
and relates to 24-7 sports rankings. And then they also had some big transfer portal pickups and Eric Gilbert and Demarcus Bowman. What do you see those guys kind of bring into the table? Yeah, uh, 24-7 just released their uh, top 50 transfers uh, as well. And Eric Gilbert was number one and Demarcus Bowman was number two. So Florida definitely hit the uh, transfer portal hard and, and getting some big time players. They also, uh, Antonio Shelton, the defensive tackle transfer from Penn State, I believe was 33rd on the list too. So Florida with three top 50 uh, guys from the transfer portal uh, there. And, and they need it. You know, Dan Mullen's normal high school recruiting um, not probably where it should be as far as competing with Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, you know, the elite of the elites, but he's hitting the transfer portal hard to help make up for that. And look, you, you don't turn down talent like Eric Gilbert and Demarcus Bowman, no matter how you get them, no matter how many years they have left. But Florida did have to hit the, tra- the transfer portal for some defensive tackles because of the lack of recruiting there of uh, the last few years. And you lost Kyrie Campbell, you lost to Daryl Slayton, and the only returning player in that form was Gervin Dexter, a true freshman from last year uh, there. So Florida, Florida needed some help there. There was a big gap uh, in defensive tackle recruiting. So they got some experienced guys, the Daquan Newkirk, Antonio Shelton from Auburn and Penn State, that they can plug in right away and and, and make some headway there at defensive tackle. And we, you know, we've seen those guys, just a little bit of spring video that we've had and, and, and working with the defensive tackle. I expect those guys to be major contributors there on the defensive tackle, along with uh, Gervin Dexter to provide a, a nice three-man rotation up there up front for the Gators uh, at a position in need. So, uh, yeah, the high school recruiting I still think could be better. You know, I'd like to explain it to Gator fans in a way as, you know, high school recruiting isn't suffering because they can go get guys in the transfer portal. You know, bo- both can be good. Both can be great. You don't have to suffer in one to, to be great in the other. Both can be good. So, uh, you know, the high school recruiting, I still think has to get better if you want to consistently compete year in and year out of winning the SEC East and, and giving Alabama a game in the SEC championship game and, and, and things like that, because that's just how the SEC is. You play Alabama, you play Georgia, you play Georgia and LSU every year. And they right now are, are bringing in classes better than you are. So the transfer portal is going to help there, but I still think consistently, if you want to go win the SEC year in and year out, I know, you know, Alabama throws a wrench in that just because of the dynasty they have going, but that's the reality you have to face. And I think the reality you have to face is if you want to go compete on that level, you have to, it starts with recruiting because we know Dan Mullen can develop. That, that's, that's been proven year in and year out from his time at Mississippi State through his time at Florida. Uh, but, you know, you develop four and five stars if you want to go compete with Alabama. I want to ask you about the high school recruitment real quick, and then I want to get into Eric Gilbert and Demarcus Bowman with you. But the show calls that Dan Bowen has, I know everybody made a big deal about that. Uh, what kind, what can you explain to the listeners what that kind of means and and what impact that could have? I, I know it's probably a very minimal impact on the Gators moving forward, right? Yeah, the, the the time frame of that is pretty much already passed. There's really just uh, I think it's done after this year, um, and you know just a little bit of uh, you know visits aren't really happening right now anyway. But <laughs> you know it kind of it doesn't really affect recruiting. It doesn't really affect recruiting all that much as far as the show calls part of it. If Dan Mullen was to go take another college football job, it would have to be approved by the NCAA. That's all. The, that's all the show call is. 
and look, he's not leaving Florida for another college job. If, he, if he's leaving Florida, it's for a job in the NFL. So uh, it's it's not a big deal at all. I mean, look, Texas A&M got hit with it as well. Uh, Jimbo Fisher for, for, for this recruiting of um, – I forget the certain player's name. I forget, but it was up there in uh, Washington, Washington State area. of, of uh, And you know, all it was was some, some text messages and some, and some meetups that shouldn't have happened get slapped on the wrist with, uh, you know, some, some, some recruiting stuff. So, you know, not a big deal for Florida, but all the show calls means is, uh, you know, he just can't take another college job without the NCAA approving it first. Yeah. And I think that if Dan Owen were to take another job, it would obviously be in the NFL. I did want to ask you about that real quick. There's yeah. a lot of, a lot of rumors about him going to the NFL and he, it doesn't, doesn't seem like the, some Gators administration folks are necessarily very happy with Dan Mullen. Just kind of talk about his future and what you expect from him. Yeah, you know, it goes back to this weird 2020 season uh, for, for everybody, but in particular for Florida uh, as well. You go back to Dan Mullen's postgame comments after the Texas A&M game of how they probably have more fans in the stands than they should have, and Mullen come out and say, and, you know, we need to be – packing the swamp right? and basically saying fans should be able to come in to, to, to the stadium. And the administration wasn't happy with that with coronavirus and COVID going out there. And, um, you know, and he really didn't back away from those comments when he had a chance to. Uh, and then the Missouri game a few weeks ago comes about and him rushing onto the field and a big fight calls, you know, the, uh, right before halftime. And after that game as well, it's on Halloween. He dresses up like Darth Vader. And, you know, so, you know, but like that, that's who Dan Mullen is. That, the whole dressing up like Darth Vader and stuff, that's, that, that's nothing. You know, he's having fun. You know, you're, you're a college football coach. Would that, would that work in the NFL? No, but you're a college football coach. But, you know, it probably did rub some people the wrong way coming on the heels of the same night as the big fight that happened with Missouri and, and all that. And then the, the comments after, um, uh, the, the Cotton Bowl basically saying they didn't take that game serious. A lot of players were out. Uh, you know, Florida basically only practiced three days for that game. And, you know, you could, it rubs some fans the wrong way that, you know, especially fans who spent money on tickets to go to that game and, and all that and see the, the team lay an egg and just, you know, really, honestly, on the surface, it looks like the team didn't necessarily take it all that serious. And, and that goes to the coaching staff as well. So um, all those things. And then, Right after the season, you know, the NFL rumors start hopping up. Uh, ESPN's reporting that Dan Mullen uh, may have interest in, a, in in the New York Jets job and uh, goes from that. Look, he, he does have interest in the NFL. That ne- doesn't necessarily mean he's going to take a job right now. doesn't necessarily mean the NFL wants him uh, to, for, for a job right now. Just mention all the PR stuff that would have to be fixed if he's, he's going to be an NFL coach. Uh, you know, the running onto the field and, and you know, so in some people's eyes, instigating a fight and – dressing up like Darth Vader and, and comments of not taking a game serious and all that. That's, you know, part of the NFL is being PR as well. You know, you have to be on the up and up uh, in post-game press conferences and speaking to the media and, and, and speaking to referees and players and all that. Uh, teams are going to look at that. Uh, so I, I do think, you know, 2020 and the, and the way he handled some things, you know, probably, that probably took a hit there. Uh, I think he has eyes for the NFL um, eventually. Uh, I think every big-time coach does. And the NFL right now is a, a quarterback offensive-driven game. And, you know, Dan Mullen's proven year in and year out that he can do that with no matter the quarterback. It could be a, a dual-threat-style quarterback. It can be a drop-back-style quarterback like Kyle Trask and, you know, setting records left and right. And, um, you know, the NFL is going you know, to – teams are going to take note of that and, and, and want their want, want their uh, quarterbacks to be able to be developed by a, a coach like Dan Mullen. So I think the interest is going to be there from both sides eventually. 
not sure anytime soon. Uh, he'll be in Gainesville for a few more years. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think him going to the NFL would probably be, you know, another few years out. And the way the NFL game is going right now, like you said, you made a great point about his development of quarterbacks and how quarterback-driven the NFL has become. You know, been looking at guys like Mahomes and Watson mm-hmm. and different guys like that. And Kyle Trask, who's about to get drafted in the NFL draft. What, make, what makes Dan Mullen such a great developer of quarterbacks, do you think? Uh, he's been doing it for so long. Um, and you, know, you go back to Urban Meyer and being the head coach at Utah and Alex Smith coming from that. And then going to Florida and you had Chris Leak uh, as his quarterback there going to go win the national championship with that style of quarterback. And then Tim Tebow takes over and, and just basically changes the game uh, right there with what they were able to do with that style of quarterback. Um, and then c- continuing that to, to that, that Prescott at Mississippi state, he's just been able to do it with so many different styles of quarterbacks and win um, to, to, to necessarily pinpoint what he does so well. Yeah. It, it, it's hard to say. Uh, it's, I mean, communication's there for one. I mean, Buddy Martin, a, a colleague of ours, you, you go back to a book he read in Urban's Way, and there was a, you know, there's some stuff in there about Dan Mullen and, and, and the type of person he is and the type of coach he is. And you know, surprisingly, you know, they had to keep Dan Mullen away from Tim Tebow during their recruitment because they were afraid Dan Mullen would ruin his recruitment just because of his personality and just how brash he is, um, straight to the point that he is. And But then once they get to know Dan Mullen, it's like the, the best relationship they can have. You know, Dan Mullen and Alex Smith, are really, really good friends. Tim Tebow would do anything for Dan Mullen right now. And it's just, you know, I think once you get into the program and get to know who he is, uh, you, you, you know, these players fall in love with him and, and what he's able to do for their program or do, do for themselves. But to, to pinpoint what he does, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just a litany of, of names and numbers that he's just been able to put up year after year after year. I think that speaks to, 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 to these quarterbacks, but uh, it's just it, more than likely, it's just being able to adapt uh, to whatever that quarterback has. If it's a, if it's a run first quarterback, we're not necessarily run first. Let me rephrase that dual threat. If you can run and pass, he's going to put you in the best position to be able to use your legs, to be able to use your arm. And if you're a drop back style He's been able to learn and, and adapt. You know, th- that, that Kyle Trask offense, that's not Dan Mullen's offense. That's not what we know, know Dan Mullen to coach. That's not what we know Dan Mullen to, to call plays for, to be able to have a quarterback drop back 40, 45 times a game and, and go put up 400, 500 yards. So I think being able to learn, being able to adapt is probably the, the best thing Dan Mullen's been able to do for quarterbacks because it's not necessarily, hey, you're going to fit my offense it's going to be square peg round hole. No, I'm going to adapt to you. I'm going to put weapons around you. I'm going to, I'm going to develop your arm. I'm going to, de- you know, I'm, we're going to break down plays before the snap after the snap. And you're going to know what to do when you go out there. So uh, probably preparation and adaptability is probably Dan Mullen's biggest traits in being able to develop quarterbacks. Yeah. It was funny. You mentioned Tim Tebow. Cause when I was preparing for the show today, getting ready to ask you that question, I was thinking about the relationship that Dan Mullen has with his quarterbacks and just how, like you mentioned, how brash he kind of is at times. I was thinking about the the segment that they had on SEC Nation a couple of years ago where Dan Mullen joined the, joined the show and he shared a very heartfelt moment with Tim Tebow. It just kind of reminded me when you were answering that question of how when people get to know him, just how really nice of a person he is, even though he really sounds 
brash, you know, when you first meet him. And that goes back to kind of the recruiting conversation as well. And that's maybe why high school recruiting lacks just a little bit because he is straight to the point. He's going to let you know what he thinks. And, you know, the, 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 him and his staff, they don't, they don't, uh, they don't hide from that and they don't coddle. They don't cater to, to high school guys as probably as well as they should, but that's just who they are. And I think that's why you've seen them have success in the transfer portal. You've seen guys like Van Jefferson, Trevon Grimes, Jonathan Grenard, Adam Schuler come in and make big impacts as transfers because they know Dan Mullen's history. They, there's, there's a, there's a record book right there. Uh, they can go back and look at, you know, here's the guys he's developed. There's all the success that he's had and you know, going straight to the point. I can be developed there. And, you know, I think that's why Florida's had success in going to get an Eric Gilbert and a DeMarcus Bowman, because there's a history of his first few years at Florida of transfers coming in and being developed and, and being ready for the NFL. And I think, you know, once, once recruits and once players go and realize, okay, recruiting is definitely different than what I was told when I got to this school. And then, you know, they see what Dan Mullen's been able to do, um, as I said, at, at Florida. And I think that kind of speaks to, to, to itself. That, okay, you know, I, I, was, I was sold a book of, uh, of this for this school at one point, but now, you know, I, I see what it takes to get to the NFL. I see the work that it needs to be put in. And this is what they told me when they were recruiting me. <laughs> and, and now they, they can go and uh, transfer to Florida and, and have some success. Yeah, I was thinking, going back to the point we brought up earlier about people not being necessarily happy with Dan Mullen when you were talking about the Cotton Bowl against Oklahoma, just thinking about the all the opt-outs that they had. I mean, they had, Kyle, they had Pitts and Grimes and and Tony and all those guys opting out. And I know Dan Mullen probably catches a lot of slack for that, but in the world of college football today, I mean, if you're not in the playoff, it seems like mm-hmm. your bowl game doesn't mean anything. And so a lot of these guys are opting out. So I don't necessarily fault him for that, even though it would seem like that to a lot of fans. Yeah, you know, it's probably just the way he said it. Like he's, he even told us last week when we were talking to him uh, for for a pre-spring press call, he probably could have said some things better than, than than the way he said it. But look, well, yeah, we knew going in when I was previewing that game, I was like, we don't know what we're going to get from that team in that game with with all the players that were opting out, and um, you know that was going to be a tough game anyway. Uh, Oklahoma was a pretty good team going into that game, and they had turned turned their their season around from uh, you know early season. Uh, you know, close games and losses uh, there. And Oklahoma was playing just as good as anybody uh, there at the, at the end of the season. So it's going to be a tough game anyway, but yeah, definitely when you, when you take out your top three pass catchers and you only have three days of practice, what you saw was exactly what you were going to get. And so, uh, uh, but you know, of course fans just didn't want to, after you get blown out, fans didn't want to hear uh, you know, we weren't necessarily taking that game uh, seriously and college football world didn't want to hear that. So, uh, yeah, as you said, um, you know, but how many times do we ask coaches, we want to hear what you really think. And then when they say that people get all up in arms, well, sorry, you know, it's, uh, you can't have it both ways. So if you want a coach to tell the truth, you're going to have to take the good with the bad. Yeah, I mean, you can't can't have your cake and eat it too. Right, I mean, it, right. if, you, if you want coaches to be completely honest with the media as to what they're thinking, and if you as a fan sit there and, and watch that press conference or whatever, then I mean, you're get what you're getting what you ask for, and right. And, and I think that a lot of times, you know, people 
get confused about that and they they just don't know what they're asking for half the time <laughs> right all right i did want to move to the defensive staff real quick uh looking ahead before get into eric gilbert and marcus bowman ty grantham i mean florida's defense wasn't very good last year and i know tory and gray and those guys that that left kind of got scapegoated for that and do you what's what's the deal there with ty grantham i know the famous video of Dan Mullen chewing him out on the sideline and uh, in those couple games this past year, what's kind of their relationship like? And, and do you expect Florida's defense to be improved in 2021? Uh, their relationship's really good. Uh, uh, probably part of the reason Todd Grantham's still there <laughs> when, when, when uh, a good majority of the fan base uh, wanted him gone after this past year. And uh, looking, I, I was a defender of, uh, of Grantham after 2018, 2019. Um, you know, the, the numbers speak for themselves, but also going into 2020, I was like, you know, there, there are things, even though the numbers are good, that we must look for if this defense is going to take another step. Uh, you know, better play in big games, better play uh, against better quarterbacks on the schedule. Well, that was just the beginning of the problems <laughs> for the Florida defense in 2020, uh, who just completely fell off the face of the earth uh, and with a lot of returning players back and. Yeah, from the issues in game one were apparent in game 12. You know, there was just not a whole lot of, of getting better in the 2020 season. And a lot of it started with the communication from, from the coaches to the players on the sideline and not being able to get lined up and basically offenses having free plays because the defense was lost. And it was kind of inexcusable to me. You had a lot of returning players in the safeties uh, at, 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 in the, in the secondary at safety and cornerback. And you know, why are there so many communication issues from players who have played in this defense now for three years? So that part was just kind of inexcusable to me. And, and it was, it was a historically bad offense that ruined what could have been a, a championship team for Florida, but just because of that offense, an average defense would have had Florida probably in a college football playoff. Uh, so, you know, Given that, you know, I was like, okay, it's, you know, I, I didn't see improvement from the issues that I wanted to see improvement from, and it got worse. Uh, so, yeah, I thought it was time to move on. Uh, I think, you know, a, a new a new voice probably was needed uh, on the defensive side of the ball. They decided not to go that route. Uh, Torian Gray's on his way out. Ron English on his way out. Florida replaces him uh, with, um, with with McGriff from Auburn. Wesley McGriff from Auburn, who has a lot of experience in the SEC. Dan Mullen said he knew exactly where he wanted to go uh, with that hire when, when when he needed to make a hire, and then hired Jules Montanar from USF, who uh, um, was part of. Uh, Oh, I forget the uh, coach's name there at USF, but he come from Clemson uh, there. He made uh, Montanar his recruiting coordinator there at USF, and he's going to be the recruiting coordinator at Florida as well, as well as coaching the the the, the, the DBs there at, at Florida. So you, they moved pretty quick with those two hires, uh, especially McGriff. Uh, as Mullen said, he, he knew where he wanted to go. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, on the surface, it looks like, you know, scapegoats for Todd Grantham. And, you know, we'll, we'll see uh, where this goes. But uh, with, two, with new faces in the second, secondary new coaches on the sideline you know and you know you had those communication issues this spring practice these 15 practices that Florida's going to have that's 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 priority number one is figuring out what you're going to do on defense get the play call in when an offense is running hurry up offense don't look lost don't look like where you don't 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 look like where you don't know where you don't need to be. You, you need to know where you need to be when the ball snapped. Um, maybe if it's, maybe it's a simplification of, uh, of the defense. Maybe it's 
uh, you know, 2020 and COVID and for whatever reason, just guys just couldn't catch on uh, for whatever reason. That, that could be part of it too. But as I said, there was plenty of experience where guys should have at least known or know where they should be. Uh, so that's the priority. Number one is getting communication issues fixed and, and, and being and knowing where you need to be uh, on this defense. And that's probably going to be tough. As I said, Kyrie Elam there at, at one DB spot, that lockdown guy, you got that spot figured out, but what's going to happen on the other DB spot, what's going to happen in the secondary uh, at safety with, you know, trading and um, you know, going to be leading leading the safeties uh back there Rashad Torrance is another name probably you're starting safeties back there so you got three parts figured out uh there with Elam uh, Dean in in the safety rotation but you got to figure out the other cornerback spot Jason Marshall a five-star from Miami Palmetto is probably gonna hopefully for Florida you know a five-star recruit you want coming in and, and making headway uh, right away at the other DB spot uh, at the other cornerback spot. So you, you look for him to make his headway this spring as an early enrollee and uh, Florida will roll uh, <laughs> from there uh, with the transfers up front and then some new faces back there in the secondary. Yeah. You mentioned communication. I know just from watching Florida this past year, it just seemed like the communication was off. It was the guys not getting lined up in the right spot, especially against those high tempo offenses and then notice it in the, you know, in the SEC championship game there with, with Alabama. And then obviously in the cotton bowl there with Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley and uh, Molinar, you know, he comes from, comes from Jeff Scott there at their yeah. US, USF. So I think that's a really good fit. And McGriff is obviously a well-established guy, like you mentioned in the SEC. All right. I did want to mention, speak, you mentioned the, the famous Florida offense there. I wanted to go to, to Eric Gilbert, do you think that Eric Gilbert was he swayed at all by the the kind of numbers Kyle Pitts put up? Was was Kyle Pitts kind of the direct reason that that Eric Gilbert chose Florida as his transfer spot? Uh, the direct reason for a couple ways, as you mentioned the numbers, but Kyle Pitts also talked to Eric Gilbert. Florida used Kyle Pitts to help recruit Eric Gilbert, so uh, probably wasn't a hard sell uh, there. So, but you I mean you still got to look at you know the offense is going to change. You, you don't have a throwing quarterback like Kyle Trask. Uh, so, but you know with the the running ability of Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson over the next couple of years. It's going to leave a lot of one-on-one opportunities for these receivers, especially if the running game's working like you you, you hope it would. Uh, so there's going to be you know some defenses keyed in on stopping the run and going to leave a lot of one-on-one coverage. And if you got weapons like a Eric Gilbert, who you know looks like uh, his freshman year at, at LSU was coming along uh, pretty nicely before you know calling it quits at the end of the, uh, the, the season of 2020, you know, he's going to fit nice and probably was shown examples of what, how he'll be used in in a college pitts like role there so it probably wasn't a hard sell at all looking at the numbers and then having kyle pitts also uh call you and help help recruit you uh and tim brewster as well you just give him some credit as well as well known as a big time recruiter in the world of college football he's on the florida staff he coaches the tight ends uh so when you got probably your best recruiter on staff coaching that position it probably wasn't all that hard of a sell for gilbert yeah i wonder and i agree i mean i agree with everything you said there i wanted to ask you about Demarcus Bowman, obviously he, you know, chooses Clemson in the recruiting process and then kind of mysteriously transfers, you know, for you noticed a couple games into the year, enters his name into the transfer portal. What does Florida kind of see in him and 
did they did they receive any kind of reasoning as to why he wanted to transfer from Clemson? Yeah, his uh, his grandfather passed away uh, here, and his uh, mom wanted him closer to home. So I think it was a wake up call that my son's a you know uh, you know ten hour drive away. Something like this happens, and you know it takes the whole world just to get him back home, or you know, and, and all that. Or if he was at Florida, still during football season, he could take a drive for a couple of days, to go back home. In fact, Clemson, it's a lot harder uh, there. So you know, I, I I think his heart probably wanted to go to Florida probably the entire way. Clemson was able to do a really good job uh, of swaying him away and, and and signing him to go to Clemson uh, there, but it's. Uh, Florida's got a lot of numbers at running back. This this spring is really important. All the running backs that played last year, um, Damian Pierce, Malik Davis, Naquan Wright, all returned uh, for, for for Florida. But Dan Mullins never had a running back with his, the, the, at least a recruiting high school stature of a Demarcus Bowman uh, there. So, and like I said, you can't take away too much from all these little highlights that we've seen from Instagram live these, these, these last couple of days, but you, you can see the burst. You can see the speed of a DeMarcus Bowman, especially compared to these other running backs. And, you know, let's not kid ourselves. These, these running backs Florida has had the last couple of years haven't been all that special. Uh, you know, Michael P Ryan's off in the NFL playing for the jets. He, he did some special things, uh, but you know, especially last year, the 2020 Florida had trouble getting some big chunk runs out of the running backs. And that's you know, not all their fault. Florida struggled up front with the offensive line as well. But when you have a, talent like a DeMarcus Bowman, he can help those deficiencies of an offensive line just with his speed and, and, and vision and being able to hit the hole and, and take off for a long run. So, you know, Florida's looking for a lot more explosiveness uh, in, in the run game. So this brings huge in how big of a step can DeMarcus Bowman take in inserting himself as that number one running back? Because I think you know, over 15 practices, it benefits Florida. After these 15 practices, if you're looking at DeMarcus Bowman being the guy, as if, if you come out of spring practice and say, DeMarcus Bowman is my number one running back, that's what you want. That's exactly what you want coming out of spring practice. That's not to shame Damien Pierce, Malik Davis, Naquan Wright. Those guys can still play huge roles in this offense. I and mean, maybe even guys like Davis and Wright, maybe playing some more receiver, playing some slot receiver, and trying to maybe duplicate some of – nobody can duplicate what Kadarius Tony brought to the table last year, but – play in that type of role uh, a bit and giving Bowman some more carries in the backfield, Pierce some more carries in the backfield as well to provide a nice one-two punch there, but still use those guys in and out of the backfield at wide receiver as well. So I think Florida's got some deep, deep numbers at running back, but it really benefits Florida if they can come out of spring as DeMar- with DeMarcus Bowman being the number one running back. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I know it's going to be really important in spring practice here for Florida to find that number one running back because – with Emory Jones at quarterback probably this year. Florida's probably going to be doing a lot more, you know, running than passing because Emory Emory Jones isn't really the most, you know, developed passer. Just kind of talk about him uh, leading into spring, Emory Jones, and kind of what kind of the challenge Anthony Richardson can give him for that starting quarterback spot. Yeah, Mullen after the Cotton Bowl pretty – Without coming out and saying it, saying, you know, this is Emory Jones' team now, Emory Jones' offense now. Uh, I expect big things from Anthony Richardson. I, I think he'll play a good bit this year as well uh, and possibly take over next year. But, you know, this is Emory Jones' what, 18, 19, 12. This is Emory Jones' fourth year. You know, this is what he's been developed for. This is his time to take over. And never in my wildest dreams did I think when he was recruited in 2018, it would take till 2021 for him to be the starter. Uh, you know, the, 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 the way football, 
football recruiting and the way the game works out sometimes is uh, mysterious and, and, and funny with the way it works out sometimes. Uh, you know, never did I think, you know, Kyle Trask would be, you know, leading the Gators to great things in, in, in 2019 and 2020. But Emory Jones finally gets his chance uh, here, and it's going to be a big shift in offense. You know, not only are you changing quarterbacks, but as I mentioned, Kyle Pitts, Kadarius Tony, Trevon Grimes leave uh, as well. And you have this bevy of running backs, and it's going to be more back to the, the style that we've known Dan Mullen to be known for before Kyle Trask and, and that style of offense with a, a quarterback that can not only run or not only throw, but can run as well. Uh, so I think you know, leadership is a big thing, I think, for, for Emory Jones because he's, he knows the playbook. He's, this is his fourth year. He knows the playbook. He knows what to expect. But do the players around him know what to expect? And I think that's with all the change at wide receiver, with the, with the change of philosophy going to more of a run approach offense, it's going to be it's going to be big for Emory Jones to step up in that leadership role. Uh, and there's only so much leadership that you can bring to the table in spring, but it starts here. And you got to you know then take that over to fall and 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 in the games when it really counts. But for this spring, you know, be that leader, be that experienced guy in this offense. And you know you got a lot of new faces at receiver. They're going to be looking at you as the quarterback to to get them in the right place and and to help them out. So probably more so than actual play just because he's been in this offense for four years, it's, you know, what can you bring to the table as a leader in taking over for Kyle Trask? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think, you know, I think Emory Jones is definitely more than capable of taking that next step this year. And obviously Anthony Richardson there to kind of push him along and competition, you know, breeds success. And I think that would be really great for Emory Jones. They want to get into one recruiting thing before get into a couple other topics with you before I let you go. Obviously, the state of Florida has a lot of, you know, great high school players, a lot of great players there. Just kind of what's the recruiting atmosphere like in Florida right now? I mean, you got Dan Mullen at, at Florida and Manny Diaz at Miami, Mike Norvell at Florida State, now Gus Malzahn at UCF, Jeff Scott at South Florida. Just, what's the state of Florida recruiting kind of looking like? And do you, do you expect a lot of those players to – to stay in the state of Florida coming up here in the next few years? Or do you think they'll wind up going to, you know, Alabama or Clemson or whatever? That's been the big problem uh, lately, especially, you know, for, for all the success Florida's had passing the ball the last couple of years, still the top wide receivers in the state go to Alabama and, you know, no, no fault, no fault going to Alabama. They've been putting up numbers and, and all that too, but you would hope to have some kind of inroad being the in-state, you know, power that 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 Florida is. It helped a little bit, but you know, I, I, I always say this, and I and always put it this way: recruiters recruit, and it's just it's really all it boils down to uh, there. So you know, um, results only go so far. Uh, you still got to seal the deal, and um, you know, still the you know, and it's not only a Florida problem; it's a it's a Miami problem, it's a FSU problem as well. You know, the big three are still having problems keeping the big names in state and, and not going to Alabama or Georgia or Clemson or Ohio state teams that dominate in recruiting are dominating in the state of Florida year after year as well. So, um, as we, but you know, as we said, you know, Demarcus Bowman, the transfer that comes in, uh, Florida eventually uh, get, gets him. Uh, so you know, it, it is a it is a conundrum for for the in state schools. Um, I still think you know you know Miami finished ahead of Florida in the normal high school re- recruiting rankings. You know you start counting transfers and then you can start ranking schools different. That's how you want to do it. But you know high, down in Miami, um, you know Miami did a pretty good job uh, of keeping some local kids there and, and boosting their recruiting. So. 
Um, it, it's going to right now. It seems to be just a battle between Florida and Miami for for some of the you know top in state talent. We'll see if Mike Norvell and Mackenzie Milton transferring in at FSU tra- changes some things, and, and that program uh, can can come back and be on the up and up, but it hasn't been pretty for Florida state the last few years. And you can definitely see it, uh, uh, affecting their recruiting in, in the state. And, you know, Gus Bell is on at UCF. That's going to be interesting and in seeing how that turns out. You know, the UCF doesn't recruit at the level of a Florida, Miami, uh, in, in FSU, but with Malzahn's resume and, and, and what he's been able to do in the sec, does that speak to some other guys who, you know, some of the three stars that, uh, maybe, would settle uh, for, 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 for going to Florida. Maybe they can say, well, I got more of an opportunity at UCF now with, with a coach I know that has proven it in the SEC. I don't think it changes all that much uh, from what we've seen lately. Uh, but if there's one thing these, you know, the big three can stop, you know, it's going to have to be quit letting Alabama and these other schools come in and get in the state's top talent. But uh, I, don't, I don't necessarily know how you stop that. <laughs> yeah. It was funny you mentioned Gus Malzahn. It seems like, a lot of his moves throughout his coaching career have been kind of the perfect time for him. And I was mentioning to somebody, um, Paige Keen from Bleacher Report, on the last episode of the podcast about about timing for him. And he goes to be the head coach at Auburn, and they're playing the national championship next year. And now he goes to UCF when, you know, more than likely in the next few years, we're going to see an expansion of the college football playoff. And so I think, you mentioned Florida recruiting. If if UCF does, you know, compete for a playoff spot year in and year out, if the college football does playoff does expand, how big of a how much of a difference do you think that makes for Florida in terms of top talent maybe deciding to go to UCF or they can play right away and still compete for the college football playoff? Yeah, it's probably more of a I got to see it before I believe it type of thing. Before I, I put UCF on uh, on a recruiting pedestal like a like a Florida, Florida State, or Miami uh, right now. Um, as I said, I think Gus Malzahn, as you said, timing and and he's the name. He's probably the guy to do it. Uh, but if that's a consistent if that's a consistent threat from Gus Malzahn and UCF, how long is he there before another? bigger program comes calling and, and, and he's off to uh, you know an ACC school or another SEC school. You know, a lot of people were joking, you know, why didn't, why didn't Tennessee choose Gus Malzahn instead of, uh, instead of Hypo there uh, with him using UCF and saying UCF ends up getting the best, better hire anyway uh, with that. So, uh, you know, I, I think it would be, um, and you know has used and also did you did UCF miss their window uh, in that in that you know Cincinnati how long was Fickle going to be there and 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 can he continue uh, the the season that he just had this past year in 2020 where Cincinnati's that team to beat in that conference or does UCF uh, and, and Malzahn with the state of Florida talent they're able to get uh, kind of rally the troops and, and give Cincinnati a run for their money uh, year in and year out yeah, the, the expansion's coming it's probably still a couple years away but so by that time. Does Gus Malzahn have UCF in a spot where he's looking for the next job, or is he going to stay to build it for an expanded playoff? Yeah, awesome stuff there. All right, I got one last thing for you before I let you go. I know you're a little bit into Gator basketball and baseball as well on the podcast. Just wanted to ask you about Florida basketball and baseball real quick. How deep of a run do you think basketball can make in the NCAA tournament if they get there? And then what are you expecting from Florida baseball as well? Yeah, basketball is a, a weird thing right now in 20, 
2021, uh, Keontae Johnson goes down in that scary incident versus Florida State, and uh, Florida had to you know take a few weeks off. They didn't even play basketball because of all the thing, everything that was going on in that scary situation uh, for, for Keontae Johnson. And um, away from that, there's a lot of apathy with the basketball team. Uh, a lot of the fan bases moved on from Mike White and just doesn't think he's the answer uh, for, for the, for head coach of the basketball team. So a lot of the interest I think has, has died down uh, for, for the Florida basketball team, just because they don't see the ceiling being anywhere near as high as it was uh, when he started and when, and when Billy Donovan left uh, Florida. So, um, you know, recruiting has been really good for basketball and it hasn't translated at all uh, for, for Florida to make deep NCAA tournament runs uh, there. So, uh, you, when this team can play their best, they're, 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 I mean, a lot of teams can say this, they're, they're a pretty good team, but they just don't play their best all too often. Uh, and, and that's kind of just been the issue. Inconsistent. They had some big wins this year. They beat Tennessee. They beat West Virginia only to go lay an egg and get beat by a terrible South Carolina team right after that. So the consistency is not there for the basketball team. And uh, that's just kind of where a lot of, a lot of fans get scared away because they, they've seen that year after year, they'll have some big wins, only to follow it up with some with some disappointing losses uh, there. So uh, baseball, you know, not, not a great start <laughs> to the season. Uh, preseason number one in every poll uh, there, and then lose their first series to Miami. Kind of just gave them that second game. Uh, they won the first game on Friday night. The second game of the season just kind of let the pitcher in way too long, gave up too many walks, and uh, I think walked in almost every run in the late in the game there uh, for, for, for Miami and Florida. And then got down on Sunday. They were down eight to nothing, found their way to battle it back eight to six, but to lose the series versus Miami uh, there for the first game of the series uh, for the first for the first series of the season and opening up the new ballpark. So, you know, um, it's not like football, you know, don't, you know, this is a long season <laughs> for, for baseball. Florida baseball will be fine. You know, yeah, they may lose the first series of the, of the season, but uh, I don't think it's anything to get all in up in arms about uh, there. They'll still be making a deep run, pushing for Omaha uh, when, when the season's over with. So is it disappointing to lose the first series of the season? Absolutely. Does it open your eyes a bit to say, okay, maybe it's not going to be as easy as we thought it was going to be, but uh, you know, the, the, They'll be just fine. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so too. New stadium, by the way, down down in Gainesville. It looks pretty nice from from everything that I've seen. Yeah, unfortunate that uh, you know COVID's keeping full crowds away, and everybody can't uh, enjoy it for, for, from the get go. I've had some friends uh, tell me it's it's really nice. It's a, a Taj Mahal of uh, of baseball uh, stadiums, as far as that goes. And uh, but yeah, hopefully uh, fans can get, can go check it out and, and have the full experience uh, sometime soon. Yeah, I hope so too. Just from everything I've seen of it, I think it's a great college baseball stadium. Looking forward to possibly getting down to Gainesville and checking that out as well. All right, David, thank you so much for coming on today. Tell everybody where they can find you on social media and what you got coming up on Gators Breakdown. Yeah, everybody can follow Gators Breakdown uh, on uh, Twitter, Facebook, at Gators Breakdown. It's on every podcast platform out there, YouTube version uh, as well, for video versions, you think. Um, you're right now just kind of going over early spring practice notes. Uh, so that's what's coming up this week uh, on, on Gators Breakdown. But a lot of good episodes recently. You know, we took a peek into 2021 offense and defense, both sides of the ball, had a state of the program episode as well, kind of just looking at the, the program as a whole. Uh, so all football all the time is what Gators Breakdown is. Oh, absolutely. Some great content there on Gators Breakdown. And 
If you haven't listened to it, please check it out. It's really awesome stuff. David does a fantastic job. All right, bud. Thank you so much, and I'll let you run. Yeah, thanks, man. Thank you. All right, that was David Waters of the Gators Breakdown Podcast. You can find him on Twitter, at GatorDave underscore SCC. Before we get out of here today, I did want to pass along a couple of notes to you. By now, whenever you're listening to this podcast, you have heard the news that Eric Gilbert is no longer with the Florida football program. I know we mentioned it a lot in the interview. And unfortunately, uh, Eric has decided to decommit from Florida and re-enter the transfer portal before we got this episode released out. So I did want to pass along that note. It just shows you how fluid the recruiting and transfer portal and all that is. And we certainly wish Eric the best wherever destination he ends up next. And when I was talking with David shortly before this episode was released, he, from everything that he's heard, it's from got some family situation there with, with Eric Gilbert. So we per- want to pass along our best to them and hope Eric can land on his feet soon at a, a new program that's going to allow him to finish out his college career and have a great NFL opportunity. And then the second thing I want to pass along, if you haven't gone back and listened to the first 11 episodes of Crunch Time Plays, I just want to plug those guests. Auburn's und- Auburn Undercover's Nathan King, former North Carolina men's basketball coach Matt Doherty, John Shipley of Jaguar Report, Josh Pate, newly acclaimed president of Pate State University from 24-7 Sports. He's the host of The Late Kick with Josh Pate. Mike Yuva of Watch Fox 57 in Columbia, South Carolina. Keith Alsep, host of the Locked On the Gamecocks podcast. Aaron Torres, Fox Sports Radio host, host of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Paige Kuhn from Bleacher Report. She's a co-host of Two Guys, a Girl, and a Podcast. Joe Lenardi, ESPN Bracketologist. He's also a new author of Bracketology. If you want to purchase that book, you can do so by clicking the link in that show's description. Jamie Chadwell, head coach of the Coastal Carolina Shana Clears football program. He was the first on our spring football preview and now David Waters is the second. And then Chris Budden from ESPN. She's Miss Do-It-All, ultimate utility player. She covers college football, college basketball, and college baseball. Make sure you check out all now 12 episodes of Crunch Time Plays. It is about time to get out of here. Just can't thank you enough for checking out Crunch Time Plays today. If you love what you heard today, if you had just as much fun as we did, go ahead and subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you like. And if you want the latest on Crunch Time Plays, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Shotgun726 and follow Crunch Time Plays on Twitter and Instagram at Plays Crunch. We've got some exciting guests coming up. So thankful for you all listening. Don't forget to spread the word. That's the fastest way for us to grow. And we'll see you next time right here on Crunch Time Plays. God bless everybody.